We'll be in Micah chapter 6 this morning as we continue making our way through this 2,700-year-old prophecy. And it's amazing how it still applies to today. We're sinners, always have been. Same problems then, same problems now. So the word still applies. Hallelujah. Well, we started chapter 6 last week. And we considered how God was calling the mountains to witness against backslidden Israel because it was upon the mountains, or the high places as they're often called, where they practiced their idolatry, offered their sacrifices, worshipped their idols and their false gods. And to herald his message, God calls for Micah to arise and contend. That was our challenge last week. We need to arise and contend. And remember that this goes beyond just witnessing. Witnessing is something any believer can do. Amen? If you've been saved, you can testify of what God has done in your life. Contending gets a little bit deeper. You have to know your Bible. You have to be able to convince the gainsayers. This requires being sound in doctrine and in faith. The world is being blasted with many different voices today. We talked about all the different voices to choose from, but which one of those voices is correct? And the world is seeking for truth. Many of them are. They want to know what what the truth is. And here's the deal. Not all the voices can be right. But we have the answer. We have the truth. And in order for them to hear God's truth, we as His children must arise and contend. So let's begin today, Micah chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Bala king of Moab consulted and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. So picking up where we left off last week, we see in verse 2 that the Lord hath a controversy with his people. And he will plead with Israel. According to Webster's 1828 dictionary, a controversy is when there is, quote, an agitation of contrary opinions, end quote. It's when there are two opposing parties and it's gotten to the place where a resolution is now needed. There's a controversy in our nation today. There are two opposing political parties whose opinions are so diametrically opposed to each other that it's coming to a head. Our nation is going to be forced to choose one ideology over the other in what direction we'll take. There's an agitation between the two. And and, and these ideologies, they can no longer cohabitate the same room, the same place, the same country, and something's going to have to give here soon. Now, the way that our government was set up was supposed to be by the people, for the people, of the people. We're supposed to be the ones that are settling this, but I think many of us are rightly questioning whether that's true any longer in our day. But I digress. 
That gives you an idea when God here says, I have a controversy with you. What's going on? He has a controversy with his people. What they want to do and what God said to do, they cannot get along. Something's going to have to give. And so sin always brings a controversy between us and God. God lets us know when He has a controversy with us. I believe He does this through various means. In our text, God uses a messenger to pronounce the controversy. And God still uses messengers today to make His controversy with His people known. God uses His Word. As we grow in the Word of God, we may become enlightened to things that before we did not know. And now God says, I've got a controversy with that. Um, perhaps there were things we didn't really know before that now we know. And now you've been brought to a place where you now have to make a decision. I can remember that in several instances in my life where I had an opinion over here, but when I found out in God's word that it differed, that his opinion differed from mine, there was a controversy. Something had to give. And so God uses his word. For example, we may begin to learn about sin of omission. Things we should have been doing, but we weren't. As James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And we may learn that as we go and realize, you know, I should have been all this time telling people about Christ. Whatever it is. And so God now has a controversy with you because he's revealing to you what you ought to be doing. God will often use circumstances to let us know he has a controversy with us. Obviously, that can be far more difficult for an outsider looking in to ascertain what's going on. Just ask Job's friends. They got it wrong. But to the insider, to the one, the individual that is happening to, you know. You know when God's using a circumstance in your life to try to get your attention and let you know, I've got a controversy with you. Now, however God chooses to let us know, He will let us know. God is always displeased with our sinfulness. He is more displeased with the sins of His people than he is with the sins of the lost. Because the sins of his people bring reproach against his name. It's a greater dishonor to him, and it grieves his spirit. At this point, it would have been beneficial to read all of Ezekiel 20, but I'm going to spare you that, amen? Let me summarize it. God wasn't pleased with the house of Israel for polluting his name by serving idols. I'll read you one verse. Ezekiel 20, 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, go ye, serve everyone his idols, and hereafter also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Stop polluting my name. The world's going to act like the world. God's children should act like God's children. And so here in Micah, God lets them know He has a controversy with them. They polluted His name. They they are contrary opinions. And these two opinions have become agitated and they can no longer share the same space. Isaiah 48, 11. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto another? Therefore, God is now going to force the issue with them. It's time for a resolution. God is saying, enough. I will not cohabitate with your false gods any longer. And so now it's going to go to trial. 
Deuteronomy 25.1, If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So God here, he's setting the table. This is, this is coming to trial. God is going to lay out his case. He's going to give them a chance. And as he brings this to trial, it says that he will plead with Israel at the end of verse 2. It's a legal term, to plead. It means God is going to present his case. He's going to make his argument. He's going to justify his position. God will justify his righteousness, and in the process, he will condemn their wickedness. And through this process, there will be some rebuke along the way. That's part of it. But I want you to understand that this phrase, it's not God being angry in the sense of He's angry, angrily pleading with them. But this is God pleading with them in compassion because He still has the hope that they will repent and get right with Him. In fact, this Hebrew word for plead here in Micah 6.2, it's the same that we find in Isaiah 118 where it says, Come now and let us reason together. It's the same Hebrew word. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And many times in our Old Testament, God gave Israel an opportunity to plead their case with Him. He'll ask them, what is it that I've done? In fact, a lot of Malachi's like that. You remember that? And, and God gives, gives people opportunity to say, what is it that I've done to you that is so bad? Now, I find it remarkable that God would even allow us to plead our case. But in His compassion, He does. He patiently allows us to recognize our folly in the light of His righteousness. Matthew Henry wrote, God reasons with us to teach us to reason with ourselves. See the equity of God's cause, it will bear to be pleaded, and sinners themselves will be forced to confess judgment and to own that God's ways are always equal, but their ways are unequal, end quote. And, and, I, and I've said many times, we'd be better off if we would just learn to judge ourselves. But they refuse to do that, and so God now brings us to this trial. And I want you to look at the beginning of God's plea here in verse 3. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. And I can sense the heartbreak of God in that statement. I don't know about you. God who had done so much for them, He's even still calling them my people. Oh, my people. God had invested so much and yet they still turned their back on God. God had been nothing but good to them. And yet they still were walking away from Him. They were still going after strange gods. They were still bowing down before their idols. Even though God had warned them, don't go a-whoring after the false gods like all the pagan nations that are around you do. It's like that child who was raised to love the Lord. They tasted the goodness of the Lord. They were warned not to go in the way of the world. But they still turned their heart. 
They turned their back to those who loved them most and took care of them when they couldn't take care of themselves. Even though as parents you were nothing but good to them, you have to watch as your precious child forsakes the commandment and instruction of the father, forsakes the law of their mother. Can you sense the heartbreak of God is what I'm trying to say. You plead with them, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. But because they're hard-hearted and stiff-necked, they go forward in their rebellion. They leave the good path of God for the so-called pleasures of this world. They often end up in the mud and the muck of the hog pen. And that's where we're hoping they'll come to themselves and return. Well, here in Micah, God feels like that parent. He's had to watch his children go astray, even though he did everything he could. This is why you better be careful looking at somebody and say, you know what your problem was with your kids? Whoa, 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 whoa. God was nothing but good to his kids. Don't get a prideful air because your kids are serving the Lord and others aren't. Amen, that's good preaching. Some of you don't know me well enough. Don't worry, all my kids are still young enough. So, um, But the day may come for me. And I've always, I've always told this church, don't you look at my kids and say, well, I know why they, no, you don't know. You didn't live in my house. Amen. Now, hopefully they will end up serving the Lord, but if not, that's between them and God. And I'll be able to say, I gave them the right path. And, and God, he's saying, I've done everything I could for you. I can't remember if it's Ezekiel 16 or where it's at, but it, it talks about God. He, he found them in when they were in their blood, newborn. He swaddled them and he, he held their hand as they began to walk and he, he taught them how, how to be and where to go. And, and God here, his heart's breaking because his children have gone astray. And if you've been there, if there is somebody in here and you say, boy, my, my child's gone astray, I want you to understand God knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. He knows the heartache. And here's the good news. He knows how to comfort you in that painful experience. So God reasons with them. He pleads with them. And I see the tenderness in which God is pleading with them when He says, Oh, my people. These are those that God brought to Himself in love. They didn't deserve it. God then gives them an opportunity to state what He did to them. What caused them to go astray and turn away? What have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? How is it that I've caused you to grow tired? How have I caused you to become faint? How is it that you think it has been so bad with me as your God that you would actually go after strange gods? Esau, what, what makes you think it was so bad that you have to go after the wives of Canaan? It's because we're rebellious. We're sinners. God here is saying, how have I made my yoke too heavy for you to bear? How can you say it's been too much of a burden to serve me? Well, I'm tired of living in this house and I'm tired of having all these rules. I'm going to go join the military where nobody will tell me what to do. 
and then some guy in a goofy hat yelling at you. <laughs> Remember after Solomon, in the days of Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel was split into two. And the reason for the rebellion of the ten tribes against the house of David, which consisted of Judah and Benjamin, was because Rehoboam made the yoke of Solomon even heavier. You remember that account? 1 Kings 12.4 Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy make thou the grievous service of thy father and his yoke which he put upon us lighter. And we will serve thee. Rehoboam received counsel from the old men and the young men. The old men said, talk good to them. And they will serve you. Or serve them and they will love you. But then he goes to the young men. They said, no, you need to make the yoke even heavier. So the, the old men, they, they say, look, just, just be good. The young men said, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. 1 Kings 12, 11, And now whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. It's a wise man, huh? Well, Rehoboam, he forsook the counsel of the old men, as you know. Israel said, what portion have we in David? 1 Kings 12, 19 says, So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And I give you that to say, God is asking in Micah's day, Wherein have I wearied thee? Can you really suggest that my yoke has been too heavy for you to bear? How is it that I have been unjust towards you? 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. That, if we, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Well, that's just so hard. Not according to the Bible. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God's ways are not hard. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15 that the way of the transgressors is hard. God's commandments are not grievous, which means they're not weighty, they're not burdensome. God's commandments are for our own good. Amen. They are to keep us in the right path. They're to keep us in a right relationship with Him, a right walk with Him. His commandments lead us into the path of blessings. It keeps us away from cursing Keeping God's commandment brings life and peace and happiness. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And now God says at the end of verse 3 Testify against me. Speak against me if you can. Bring your accusations against me. But what could they testify against God? had an issue one time with one of my kids. Can you believe that? <laughs> I read in a book, that's possible. Sure enough, it is. And um, what you huffing for? I'm tired of doing the dishes around here. You got it so bad. The dishes are shared amongst your other siblings. There's four kids in our house. And you've got it so bad that you actually have to help out with the dishes. Well, I'm just tired of it, and I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, you got it so bad. 
I said, here's the deal. I'll help you pack. You got it so bad, go out there in the world, and then you can come back and tell me, you know what, man, I had it really good back in my father's house. I mean, even the hired servants had it better than I've got it out here in the world. Hey, listen, it didn't take me long. I joined the military at the age of 17 because I was that guy. It didn't take me long to go, man, Dad was right. Way better at home. And I could just hang out with AA, go to the Braves game. Now I got to work all the time, pay bills. I mean, I was still doing that, but it was to a lesser extent. Now I got to think about stuff like health care. It's like you want to say, you know, testify against me. Go ahead. What is it that makes you think you have it so bad here? <laughs> We're going to get stuck here. i got to move on. I'm going to get stuck here. I remember feeling that way about my dad. I, and really, I'm just reaping what I've sown. And, uh, and I'm tired of all these rules. You're always telling me what to do. i got all these chores. I still have all those chores. Amen. All right. What could they testify against God? Because look at what God says in verse 4. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God reminds them what he did for them, how that he did for them, what no one else could do for them. I brought you out. I rescued you. I brought you into this world. I don't know why this is turning into a family series. None of this is in my notes. I... I guess I'm just mad at children right now. Amen? I I don't know. My kids are great. I I don't know why I'm... uh, It must be Tyler's kids. I don't know. um, God is telling them, I'm the one who rescued you. You were in slavery. You were in bondage. I'm the one who redeemed you. And I'm going to count one of these days. I'm going to get a number. Throughout the entire Old Testament from Exodus on, God constantly says, remember that I brought you out. Remember Egypt. Remember where you were and where you are now. Remember what I've done for you. He always wants Israel to go back to their beginning and see when they were in a helpless state that God still showed them favor. He rescued them from cruel taskmasters. They didn't want to let Israel go, but God brought them liberty. And so it is with us. Listen up. We were held captive by an enemy which did not want to let us go. That's right. But God showed us favor. He gave us an opportunity to experience liberty in Christ by delivering us from the cruel taskmaster of the devil. He made us free. And listen, if you've been redeemed this morning, then God has already done for you what no one else could have done for you. He rescued you from this world and from a devil's hell. And this in of itself, verse 4 here, this in of itself should be enough for us to stay focused on God and say, I am eternally grateful for what you've done for me. Thank you for making me free. I think that should be enough to keep us faithful to God. How about you? Why then would any forsake Him for this world? Why would any of God's children testify against Him? But they do. Maybe you have and maybe you are. 
People who say they are in Christ testify against God and talk about how He is unfair. Well, I don't think God should have let that one die. And they get sideways with God. I don't think I should have to struggle in this life. I don't think it's fair that the wicked get away with so much and I'm getting chastised for what I do. Why is it that they're prospering and they have so much and yet I have so little? On and on the accusations fly upward to God and His children are shaking their fist at God. But has God really been unfair? Do we not live in a fallen, sin-sick world because we chose to rebel against God? And hasn't God been clear in His Word in all these areas? God told us that the wages of sin is death. So was God unfair when a loved one passed? God told us that in this life we should have tribulation, so is God unfair when we have struggles? God told us the wicked would have their portion in this life, so is God unfair if they have an abundance and we don't? We get testy with God when we get our our eyes off of eternity. We become unthankful for all His blessings. We forget that this world is not our home. That our reward is there with Him. If our eyes are upon the things of this world and upon those around us, we will forget the reward. Our eternal reward in glory. Colossians 3, 1-4, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Amen. Hallelujah. So we have something far greater than this world can ever offer us. And we should never lose sight of the glorious day to come. Our life is but a vapor. Mike was talking to me before service, Petraco, and he, I was asking about Sam's pastor. and You said he's been there 12 years. And I said, man, I used to think that would be a while. But I feel like all I've done is blink and six years has gone by. It's but a vapor. It appears for a little time and it vanisheth away. Don't get so tethered to this life that you're losing sight of what we, we have in store for us. Don't set your affection here below, but live with eternity in view. But I would say this even still. If you have a right perspective while upon this earth, then you will be convinced that you still have it better than the wicked in this life. Why? We've been brought out and redeemed. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical things. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And you can't put a price on that. Even the wicked in this world have all these things and yet there's no joy, there's no peace. We have a joy the world cannot have. We have a peace which passes understanding. And we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. How can we dare bring an accusation before God? How dare we suggest that He has wearied us and how dare we testify against Him? Isaiah 5, 3 and 4. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I have done in it? Wherein, when I looked at it, should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. God said, what more could I have done? 
I gave you every advantage, every opportunity. Jeremiah 2.5, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? You know, God is good to his people. He brought us out that he might bring us in. He daily loadeth us with benefits. His mercy is everlasting and he's faithful. Psalm 139, 17 and 18, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Lamentations 3, 22 through 25, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. So God was good to them. Testify against me. I brought you out. I rescued you. I saved you. We see at the end of verse 4 that not only did God bring them out and redeem them, but he also sent them leaders. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, all three were not perfect, but all three were declared to be prophets. Moses was the great prophet who pictured the coming Messiah. Moses spoke that there was coming a day when a prophet would arise like unto him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter, that was in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy 34.10, it says of Moses, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Aaron was called Moses' prophet in that he spake before Pharaoh. Moses got the word from God, and then Moses told Aaron, and Aaron spoke to Pharaoh. And then Aaron became greatly used by God. He became the first high priest under the Levitical priesthood. And then there was Miriam, from which we get the name Mary. The first time Miriam is mentioned by name in the Bible is Exodus 15, and she is there called a prophetess. Numbers 12, 1, 1 and 2 says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, uh-oh, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard. And I just read that verse to tell you, God spoke through them. God spoke through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And, and so God, in calling Israel to remember what he did for them, he also brings to their remembrance their former guides, their leaders. It is part of God's mercy that we are given good and godly leaders in our lives, especially those that we enjoy while still in our youth when we are malleable, when we can still be shaped and we can still be told what path to go in. Thank God for godly parents if you had them. Amen. Thank God for godly grandparents if you have them. For godly friends, for godly teachers and good pastors, those who will go before us and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. It is God who sent them before us to prepare the way of the Lord unto us. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. God is good in that He gives us leaders. When you think about the goodness of the Lord, don't forget about those people God sent into your life to help guide you and direct you. They helped you to understand the Word of God and to show you the good paths. I thank God for my godly parents, my godly friends, godly teachers, and godly pastors. All who from my youth taught me to follow the Scriptures. Didn't always do it right, but thank God for them. Be thankful for those that God uses in your life. But listen to me, don't grow so attached to them that you elevate them above God in your life because they will fail you and they will die. God will always remain the same. He changes not. So we must recognize the God of the prophet or prophetess. We must recognize who their God is. For it is God who gave them wisdom. This is important because Moses, Aaron, and Miriam all died. But God was still faithful. He raised up another generation of leaders. We are getting nearer to saying goodbye to our Moses, if you will, and Pastor Williams. But never forget, it was God who made him the man that we respected and followed. And we followed him as he followed the Lord. And if we, are, if we attach ourselves to the man, we're in trouble. Because the man will pass off the scene. This may not be a big deal for some of you, but for some it's a huge deal because you're still wrestling with the fact that God called somebody home. Well, they were just so important to me and they were my strength and they were my this. God's supposed to be those things in your life. Yes. If we attach ourselves to God, then we will stay faithful because our hope is in God and not in man. And we can trust that the same God who worked through Pastor Williams will continue working into the next generation. So does God have a controversy with you today? Let Him plead with you. He'll give you an opportunity to bring your case before Him. But if you're honest, you'll find that He's been nothing but good to you. He brought you out. He redeemed you. He pulled you up. He put your feet upon the rock. He established your goings. He blesses you daily. He even gives you godly influences in your life to go before you and help you along in this life below. So when you find yourself in the doldrums, and I think we all get there from time to time, go back to what God did for you in the beginning. He brought you out. He redeemed you. Remember the deliverance He brought to you. Remember how He made you free. What a good God we serve. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed till morning service.